Hello, leaders. Welcome back to the Ray Johnson Leadership Podcast. On behalf of Ray Johnston, I'm Brad Lominek, your host. Excited you're here. Excited you're tuning in. Excited you're leaning in to leadership. And that's what we want to do here on the Ray Johnson Leadership Podcast. We want to bring you voices, interviews, conversations, connections to friends and different influencers from all all over the country, around the world, who are doing great stuff. And we want you to get better as a leader. We want you to be a a healthy leader with a thriving church and also a thriving leader with a healthy church. So healthy and thriving are two words that are important to Ray and the team. So that's what our goal is. On this episode, we sat down with John Gordon. John Gordon is a best-selling author. He is is a force of nature in the leadership, sales, inspiration, culture building. Uh, Let me just give you a bit of uh, the background on John. He's an author. He's a keynote speaker founder of the John Gordon Companies. Uh, his best-selling books and talks have been, ins- been inspiring readers and audiences around the world for many years. Uh, his, his principles have been put to the test by Fortune 500 companies, lots of professional teams, NBA, NFL, etc., lots of college football teams, hospitals, nonprofits, schools, etc. He's the author of 23 books, including 10 bestsellers and five children's books. His timeless book, the one he's most known for is the Energy Bus, which has sold over two million copies. Also, the Carpenter, which was a top five business book of the year. Training Camp, The Power of Positive Leadership, which I think is also one of his best books. And The Power of a Positive Team, The Coffee Bean, The Garden. He's got lots of other books. John has been featured on the Today Show, CNN, CNBC, Golf Channel, Fox and Friends, all kinds of newspapers, and his clients include the Dodgers, hello, recently the uh, World Series champions, or the winner of the World Series, the uh, Major League Baseball champions, Campbell Soup, Dell Public, Southwest Airlines, Miami Heat, LA Rams, Clemson football. Come on, John, get over the Oklahoma football. Let's go. Help them out. We got to get them over the hump. So this is going to be a, a conversation. You get your moleskin out. Buckle your seatbelt. You're going to love John Gordon if you haven't listened to or or been a part of uh, reading his books. He also is the host of the Pod- Positive University podcast, which I love. I download on a regular basis. So let's jump in. Here is best-selling author, speaker, inspirer, encourager, Mr. Positivity, John Gordon. Hey, friends, it's uh, Ray Johnston, and I am here with a special guest, John Gordon. And um, let me give you a little bit of background. I'm going to get tired just reading this, so hang in there. Uh, he's the author of 16 books. It may have gone up in the last 30 minutes. 23, uh, Ray. <laughs> <laughs> is it 23 now? 23. 23. Um, there will be a 24th born during this, uh, during this podcast. Six of them are bestsellers. Now, it may be above that now, John. It's, it's 10 now. And now, including the Energy Bus, which was a breakout bestseller, the Carpenter Training Camp, uh, the Power of Positive Leadership, the Power of a Positive Team, a whole bunch of other stuff. We'll we'll create links for you to find all of these. Uh, he's been on the Today Show, CNN, all of that kind of stuff. Um, the but what I find fascinating is the breadth of who he goes in and speaks to, encourages, and trains is from the Atlanta Falcons, LA Clippers, Miami Heat, Pittsburgh Pirates, Clemson football, which with Dabo Sweeney's got to be a ball. Um, 
Southwest Airlines, Northwest Mutual, Bayer, all these Fortune 500 companies. And of course, most important because they're God's favorite team, the Los Angeles Dodgers. So, John, welcome. We're glad to have you today. I'm honored to be with you. Thanks for having me. Hey, the first thing I want to ask you is this. Uh, You have a brand new book called The Coffee Bean. And listening to you describe it, I went, is the of anything people need to pay attention to after the year we've had, it would be the things that book is teaching. Can you unpack that for a second? Sure. It talks about the carrot, the egg, and the coffee bean. When you put a carrot into boiling hot water, what happens to the carrot? It gets softened. It gets weakened by the environment. You put an egg into boiling hot water, what happens to the egg? Well, we know we get hard-boiled eggs. It gets hardened by the environment. So we can be like the egg where we get hardened, we get bitter, angry, frustrated at our situation, or perhaps we grow up in a difficult environment or a difficult circumstance in our family. And so we can allow that to harden us where we just don't care. We don't love, or we can be like the carrot where we get weakened, anxious, fearful, stressed, and we crumble from the inside out when we face tough situations. So we don't want to be like the carrot. We don't want to be like the egg. You know, we want to be like the coffee bean. You put that coffee bean into boiling hot water within an hour Even if it's not ground up, it will transform that water into coffee. We don't even call it water anymore. We give it a new name. It transforms the environment that it's in. And that's leadership. That's influence. No matter where you are, no matter what situation you're in, you're impacting the people in a positive way. You're influencing others from who you are on the inside, right? You're a child of God. You are loved. You are kind and compassionate. You are powerful. And the circumstances have no power over you. You have the power to define your circumstances. It's what Jesus taught us. And it is the ultimate lesson in leadership. We lead from the inside out. Who you are determines how you lead and how you impact others around you. And your circumstances are not more powerful than who you are and the impact you can have. We're talking about a book for our times. You also, John, you had a co-author on that one and you were hooked up by Dabo Sweeney. How did that happen? It's a really cool story. I was up at Clemson speaking to the team. I have worked with them for for nine straight years. And Dabo Sweeney said, hey, we just had this guy, Damon West, come. Damon had spent seven years in prison. He was a meth addict. He was a former college football player. Comes out, gets addicted to meth. He's now burglarizing homes. He gets caught. He gets sentenced to 65 years in the Texas prison system. He gets out in seven because... A man named Mr. Jackson taught him the coffee bean lesson while he was getting ready to go to to the big jail. He decides to make an impact in the prison he's in to impact it from the inside out. I always say, hey, if you think your job is tough, right, you know, just think about Damon, what he had to do while in prison to impact his environment. And so he transforms environment. He gets out on good behavior. He's at a big coaching clinic meeting. Every coach turns him down when he offers to speak. Dabo Sweeney is the only coach that gives him a chance to come speak. He speaks to the team. It is powerful. He shares a story, how he ruined his life, but how he's now, you know, experiencing redemption, restoration, how God is changing him. And he talks about the coffee bean. So Dabo proceeds to tell me all about the carrot, the egg and the coffee bean because Dabo's really animated, loves to tell the story. And I'm like, wow, that is a that is an amazing idea. I have been speaking for years on inside out, right? John 4, 4, the power is inside you. So I've been speaking for years on that. That was a big message I gave to Clemson when I first started working with the team all the way back in 2012. Like you create from the inside out. Don't worry about the outside. Don't worry about the competition. Don't worry about the fans or the stadium you're playing in. You create from the inside out. So the coffee bean is the ultimate message of that. So when I heard it, 
God gave me a vision right away of the coffee bean. And so I reached out to, da I reached out to Damon. Dabble gave me his number. And I said, hey, we should do this book called The Coffee Bean. He's like, John, you don't need me. It's a story that's been around a long time. Mr. Jackson's not the one who came up with it. I said, yeah, I know, but, but God's telling me we need to do this together. I didn't really know him from Adam, but God was really saying, you got to do this book with this guy. So I give him half my advance. I give him, I give him everything from my publisher. We do the book. It's the coolest story because he gets the advance. He gives it to his parents. It was the exact amount of money that his parents had spent on his legal bills that he never knew if he was going to be able to pay back. So he wow. paid back his parents. He's now been speaking all over. After the talk to Clemson, Dabo says, hey, you got to speak to Nick Saban's team. And even though they, they're competitors, he calls up Nick and, and Damon goes and speaks to the University of Alabama, then Georgia, all these other teams. He's now making a great impact. He's on our Power of Positive Summit coming up. And so like together now we're able to share this message and it's exponentially growing. It's really cool that Dabo though connected us. No kidding. That, and what a cool story. Now you actually didn't start writing and speaking. You were a restaurant owner early. I was. Can you unpack. How did you move from being a restaurant owner to what you're doing now? Well, I was miserable and negative. I was 31 years old. I had our two children and I just was not happy with my life. I was falling apart. I lost my job during the dot-com crash. The wheels came off and my wife came up to me and she said, you know, I love you, but I'm not going to spend my life with someone who makes me so miserable. Like you need to change like, or I'm out of here. She was ready to walk out the door and I begged her to stay. I wanted to stay married and I agreed to change. And that began this journey of working to become a more positive person. I didn't really have a faith at the time. I just wanted to be more positive. So I started to research ways I could be more positive. This was during the emerging field of, of positive psychology. I remember saying, what am I born to do? Why am I here? And writing and speaking honestly came to me. I never did it before, but it came to me like, this is what you are meant to do. I'm like, all right, I'm going to do it, but I have to provide for my family. So let me get back in the restaurant business. When I was 24, I opened up a bar in Buckhead. Pretty cool, right? 24, open up a hot bar in Buckhead. I mean, every young professional is coming to it. We're making a lot of money, me and my friends. And, you know, that's how I met my wife. Actually, she was walking by and I had just opened it up. I was 24 and we met. For me, it was love at first sight for her. It took a while, but she didn't want to marry a bar owner, but she saw, okay, this guy's actually got a good education. He's, he's not really a, a drinker, but I was in that business. And so had got out of the business, went to go work for the dot-com, dot-com crashes. I lose my job. And so it's now, what does my future hold? And again, so I got back in the restaurant business to hopefully be able to provide for my family while I built up this writing and speaking. And that's how... I began that journey of just working to do it. Eventually came to faith and baptized in 2007. Uh, same year I wrote The Energy Bus and that book came out and then changed my life. So when you wrote The Energy Bus, you wrote that fast. Yeah, three and a half weeks. Three and a half weeks, which I've written a bunch of books. That is a miracle. And you do all your own writing. I do all my own writing. People often ask me if I have a I have a ghostwriter. I must not look smart enough to write a book, but I say I don't have a ghostwriter. I have a holy ghostwriter. And so I am inspired to write the books. I write, God gives me a vision. I know what I'm supposed to write. And I literally sit down, I start writing the book. The longest it usually takes is about four weeks. Three and a half is, is on average. Wrote the energy bus. First time that ever happened to me though, before all these other books, right? So I didn't know when it first happened, like, wow, it just came to me. It was an experience I never had before. I went to my home computer. I started writing this book, rejected by over 30 publishers, told to give up. 
but I couldn't give up because I had a vision and a mission at that point to encourage and inspire as many people as possible, one person at a time. I always wanted to make a difference on that one person. As I said, I was coming to faith at that time, like year before, and then finally culminating in a, in a decision, but I was being impacted in my spirit, my soul. I was changing, I was transforming and really in many ways, becoming a very different person. And during that time, this book comes to me, I write it and you can sense like the character. People said they can sense the change in the character as I was changing, writing the book. It was pretty cool, pretty cool experience. Yeah. No kidding. Now for folks listening, um, they're, they're going, I'm trying to do something, but it is taking longer and it is much harder. And I'm running into more roadblocks. Um, publishers weren't lining up to buy your first book. What right. You so I did have the roadblocks. I did have the setbacks, all the rejections. It didn't happen overnight. I wrote the book quickly, but then I had this book and then I'm getting rejection after rejection after rejection. Your dream's not going to happen. Give up. Don't do it. Right. Even my agent said, give up. Then the book comes out and then bookstores wouldn't carry it. So I go on a 28 city tour paid for by myself because I have this dream and a message and now it's not being shared. So I go on a 28 city tour paid for by myself. And I went from city to city on a, on an energy bus, like a small little energy bus all over the country. And we had five people, in one city, 10 people, another 20, another, the most people we had were hundred people in Des Moines, Iowa. They thought Jeff Gordon was coming, the race car driver. That's why they showed up. I remember I, I got home. I didn't know what the future held, but I, I knew that I had to just, live this mission and vision every single day. And, and the truth is I, I did pray for it to be a bestseller. And then when it, when it initially came out, it was a bestseller in Korea. So I forgot to tell you that it was a huge hit in South Korea, not North Korea, but a huge hit in South Korea, but not one bookstore in the United States would carry the book. So that's what led me to go on this tour. So it was again, huge hit in South Korea, strangest thing ever, top five bestseller. Then US bookstores wouldn't carry it. I go on this tour. Come back from the tour, not very successful tour, right? Only a hundred people in the best in, you know, at most in Iowa. I'm like, okay, what are we going to do? And I just said, all right, I'm going to share the message, message every single day, everywhere I can. And that's what I began doing. It took five years for it to be a bestseller and to finally get out there. And it, it's been a journey, but God was molding me, shaping me and really humbling me and teaching me. It's about the message and the mission. And here I am now 50, right? Years later, the book's been out since 2007, 14 years later. And when COVID hit, I really returned to that same mission and message of, okay, like, I don't know what the future holds. Every event is being canceled. I'm a speaker. I'm not getting paid to speak now. What do I do? How do I support my team? We have a team. How do I support my family? And I just went back to that initial vision and mission and message of, let's go. Just encourage one person at a time. Go do that. And so I was prepared for this moment based on all that I did years ago. This year has been a year of, of some pain and suffering for a lot of people, including my, my family. I lost my uncle. But at the same point, there's been so many amazing blessings that have come out of it. So much growth and also so much faith. Like I have grown in my faith so much because I've seen God work in amazing ways and returning to that vision and mission, humble and hungry, doing the work. And I'm more convicted than ever about it. Leadership, right? A crisis will reveal who you are, what you value, and what you believe. I learned that from John Maxwell. I want to give him credit on that. Who you are, what you value, what you believe. And I realized, who am I? I'm an encourager. What do I value? Relationships. Now more than ever, I realize it's about relationships. And what do I believe? I believe in this work 
more than ever. I believe in positive leadership because pessimists do not change the world. It's the positive leaders who are able to overcome times like this to create a positive future. That's, by the way, <laughs> tweet that fast. Pessimists do not change the world. That's brilliant. Um, now, what's interesting is this. Your first book takes a long time. There was a lot of rejection, 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 which comes discouragement comes with that. Then you're going, okay, I'm going to write a second book, which was harder for you to write because fear enters in. Can you unpack that? Well, actually, the second one, No Complaining Rule, wasn't as hard. It was The Carpenter that was really difficult for me to write. Several years later, after Training Camp had come out, people were loving Training Camp. Damian Lillard read it twice before his rookie season in the NBA to remind himself how hard he would have to work in the, to make it in the NBA. I'm hearing from all these different professional college athletes that are reading it. Energy Bus is doing really well at this point. And now I'm thinking, I'm going to write a piece of junk. I was so filled with fear that I couldn't even write. I never had writer's block before, but I had writer's block with the carpenter. And then I woke up one morning, I'll never forget, with the insight that love casts out fear, a biblical truth. Love casts out fear. And all I had to do was get back to loving the reader, loving the process of, of writing. And if you love the process, you will love what the process produces. And I just had to focus on that love, not fear, and the fear would dissipate. So it's pretty cool because I made that and wove that into the story of the main character who has to overcome his fear and all that he's all that he has going on to build greatness. Because what we try to build with fear will, will crumble. If we build it with love, it will endure. We know that. And so that became a major principle in the book based on my own fear and my own challenge in, in writing this book. Good. The, so, hey, another question is this. Um, first of all, did you watch the Baylor-Gonzaga game? Of course I did. It was awesome. <laughs> the, um, the, those are two of the best coaches on the planet. You have worked with themes around this stuff. You speak to these folks all the time. What, for leaders listening to this, what are characteristics of great coaches? What makes them great? Well, for one, I have to say, I worked with Michigan this year, so I was very disappointed that they lost. I have to tell you that. So I clearly didn't help them enough. But Juwan Howard won Coach of the Year and an amazing coach. I've worked with a lot of coaches of the year, like Eric Spolster, Coach of the Year. Mike Smith, when he was with the Falcons, Coach of the Year twice. Sean McVay, Coach of the Year of the Rams. Dave Roberts, Manager of the Year, World Series. Uh, Tampa Bay Lightning last year when they won the Stanley Cup. First NHL team I ever worked with. I got a chance to work with them. Am I the reason for their success? Of course not. I spoke to the New York Jets. So there's no reason I am the reason to their success. It's all about culture, leadership, teamwork, what you do each day to build your team. And so what they do, demanding, but not demeaning. They are demanding, but not demeaning. Love and accountability. A lot of love, but a lot of accountability. Dabo loves those players. They know it, but he will hold you accountable to be your best. If you love someone, but you don't hold them accountable, you really, in many ways, are not helping them become their best. So you, how fully do you love them? If you love someone, you won't let them settle for anything but their best. You're going to help them reach their potential. And so you have to be a leader who leads with love and accountability. Hold them to the standard and then love them up to reach that standard. Also, there's a lot of consistency. Nick Saban, I know he's not the most positive leader, but he is very consistent. So they know what to expect with him every single day. He has the same routine, the same structure. So even though you may not love him or like him that much, if you're a player, you respect him and you trust him because he shows up every single day and is the same way every day and does the same thing every day. And that consistency builds 
trust. If you're moody, your team doesn't know what to expect from you and you lose trust. Great leaders also do not allow negativity to sabotage their team. Too often we let it persist and it exists. Eventually we'll sabotage the team. No energy vampires allowed. I write about that a lot in the power of positive leadership and the energy bus. And also we are always saying no complaining, the no complaining rule. You're not allowed to complain unless you come with a solution. And so great leaders focus on solutions, not complaints. They empower their team to find their own solutions, to be problem solvers, right? Not problem creators. And so there's all these different lessons I've learned from so many great leaders. Big mission, small ego, right? Big purpose, big mission, small ego. They build great cultures. But if I had to pick a couple, I've shared a bunch right there, but it's definitely optimism and belief. Great leaders believe in others more than those people believe in themselves. They believe in a brighter and better future. They're optimistic. They're always pointing their teams forward towards the future. Dabo Sweeney is like the most positive person I've ever met. And it's his optimism and belief that is contagious. Leadership is a transfer of belief. And then great leaders build great relationships with the love and accountability, with the demanding, not the meaning. They build great relationships. They really focus on communication, connection, commitment, and caring. I know I gave you a lot right there, but, but that's a, a framework in a nutshell that I write about a lot in The Power of Positive Leadership. That's sort of my framework for, for great leaders. I had a chance to work with all these great leaders since, since 2007 over the years. And so what I did was I wrote a framework and principles and practices of what I've learned from all these great leaders that this is the way to build a great organization. This is what great leaders do. And talk to Alan Mullally about it, who is one of the greatest leaders of all time, turning around Ford in 2006, he defined his leadership style as positive leadership, also turned around Boeing, you know, again, one of the most incredible leaders ever. And pretty much this is the way leaders need to lead and point their teams to create a, a brighter and better future. Boy, that is good. Let me, okay, so I want to try an experiment here, John. I'm going to take you into the Gonzaga locker room and the Baylor locker room the minute the game's over. Because okay. I watched that game and I went, those two locker rooms, rooms right now look like America. Some people feel devastated and they've lost. Other people are having the time of their life. Okay. Um, first of all, what would you say to the Gonzaga locker room if you were in that locker room 10 minutes after they walked in? What would you tell those players? I would say, look, I'm not going to lie. This stinks. Being positive doesn't mean that we don't, you know, accept the reality. This stinks. We don't ignore reality, but we're going to maintain optimism, belief, and faith in order to create a better reality. We had an amazing season. We were just beat by a, a better team tonight, or they played better tonight. But our future is bright. We are going to continue working. What you've learned together as a team, how you came together, how you have grown will be something that you will take with you for the rest of your life. Only one team can win a championship, but I believe that you are champions tonight. The way you played, you're champions. Yeah, it's not going to show up in the media or on ESPN, but you are champions. And in my book, you are winners. And I am so proud of you. I, I would talk about that. What are we going to do next? Whether you win or lose, it's always about what are we going to do next? And then to Baylor, it's, hey, you know, our, everything we did, everything we, we worked for, we accomplished this year. We won the championship. But let's also, as Dabo Sweeney said, when Clemson won the championship and I was in the locker room, the first championship he won, he said, don't let this be the greatest moment of your life. He said, he, he said it can't be. Be great husbands, be great fathers, go do great things. Let those be the greatest moments, not this. 
let this moment be something you enjoy, but do great things in the world. And I would say to those guys, hey, you have a, a bright future. The best is yet to come. You got to take this victory, enjoy it forever, but also know that, that this is something that is just the beginning of what you want to create in your future and for your life. Well, that's, that's good. So um, you also work with teams. Uh, you, characteristics of great leaders. Uh, you have an entire book, Characteristics of Great Teams. What do great teams look like? Right. That's the power of a positive team. So we have power of positive leadership, and there's the power of a positive team, which is a framework for what makes great teams great, having the opportunity to work with so many teams and seeing how they come together, how they win, what they do. Again, it goes back to love and accountability, essential for teams. Also, it's about difficult conversations. Great teams have the difficult conversations in order to learn and grow and become more intimate, right? A lot of times as teams, we stay at surface level. We stay in the like area, right? We just want to like each other. We don't want to rock the boat, but we never grow to a deeper level intimacy. Great teams connect at a deep level. And here's what I've learned with teams. The more connected you are, the more committed you will be. You will never have commitment without connection. It's the connection that breeds the commitment. So when adversity strikes, great teams don't run away from each other. They run towards each other. They don't fight against each other. They fight for each other. And you can see who's connected and committed or not when you start to look at these teams and the pressure's on and they're facing a tough opponent. How do they respond? Do they keep fighting? I was so impressed with the Gonzaga. You know, they were down, but they kept fighting those guys. I respected them so much about how they kept fighting and what they did. They never gave up. You could just tell it wasn't their night, but they kept fighting. And so even though they didn't win, you can tell they were connected and committed. And that's what got them to that point in the first place. You saw with UCLA as well in the tournament. And so the U.S. women's soccer team, after every match on their march to the World Cup, would basically debrief and talk about who messed up, who needed to play better, how they could improve. I said, no one took it personal. Allie Long told me, no, they didn't take it personal because they all wanted to be great together. And so the purpose and the shared vision and mission was greater than the individual ego. And they were having the difficult conversations in order to get better and they didn't take it personal. And so that's the key there. Like we're here to be great together. We're here to have the difficult conversations. Seattle Seahawks have tell the truth Mondays. So every Monday they meet as a team and they have tell the truth Mondays to talk about again, who messed up and it's ingrained in their culture that no one is going to take it personal and how they improve. And great teams also same thing as leadership. They stay positive through their challenges with optimism and belief. So they don't give up. First quarter, fifth, you know, overtime, whether you're in a business and you're fighting for your life or we're trying to surpass your competition, you are sticking together, staying together, staying positive with that optimism. And the collective optimism of a team is the result of each person's individual optimism and belief. That's why it's so important as an individual team member to feed yourself each day with the optimism and belief in order to feed others. Because if you don't have it, you can't share it. So as leaders and as team members, we need to feed ourselves each day in order to fuel our team. So you have a phrase, and I've been looking forward to asking you to unpack it. Um, use the phrase energy vampires. What are they? Yeah, they're the people who will suck the life out of a team. One person can't make a team, but one person could break a team. And so we have to make sure that we address energy vampires on our team. People are sucking the life out of a team. And in our life, we're going to deal with energy vampires. And you have to be careful because they will steal your dreams and 
suck your energy and really keep you from what you're meant to do. They will also ruin your holidays if they're a family member. So we have to make sure we address the energy vampires. But, you know, the key is love, empathy, kill them with kindness, be positive, be loving. Who really wants to be negative like that? Stay away from them if you, if you can, if they're a neighbor and they're always draining your energy. But at the same time, maybe you can transform them. Maybe your love could, could help them change for the better. Maybe they got a negative story because they've had a negative life and maybe you can help them with your love and empathy. So I think the first rule is always to, to make sure we do our best to try to lovingly empathize with that person, try to help them. If there's someone though, no matter what you do, they're just negative and they're, they're really hurting the team, hurting the organization, hurting the church, hurting the group. You got to make sure you address it because that person will contaminate your culture. They'll sabotage your morale and your performance. And you do have to make sure you address it. So there's no perfect science, but in our training, we do a lot of work around that, a lot of discussions around that, and a lot of, a lot of sharing of best practices to give people the tools on, on how to deal with it. But just to ignore it, ignoring an energy vampire is not the way to go because it will eventually come back to bite you. No uh, pun intended, or maybe a pun intended. Okay. So you work with hundreds of high capacity leaders, okay? Um, across all leaders, as you've observed them, if there were something where you're going, man, a lot of leaders are consistently getting this wrong. And with a small change, they could go to a whole new level of effectiveness. Wow. What would that be? Clarity. They don't provide clarity of vision, of mission, purpose, what matters most, what are our priorities, how do we win, what does that look like? And so we have to have clarity. Clarity leads to focused action. So providing clarity. Clarity leads to confidence. People think that confidence leads to clarity. Actually, clarity is what gives you confidence. The more clarity you have, you more ha the more flow, the more confidence you have. So clarity comes first. And as a leader, you have to provide clarity for your people and to your people so they know what to do and they can focus on it each day in their role and their job. And that will lead to higher performance and results. That's what Bill Belichick does. Great clarity. Dabo, great clarity. The great leaders, Sabin, clarity. It's about clarity. Boy, that is good. Um, these are going to take this many notes on somebody. Well done. Um, Thank you. <laughs> um, I've, learned, I've learned from a lot of the best, so I can't take credit. I've learned from a lot of the great leaders I've had the opportunity to work with. Which is one of the marks of great leaders and great speakers. Um, what, do, what are... Um, how would I put this one? Thousands of people are listening to this who are pastors and church leaders. What advice would you have for them about how they can help the business and marketing leaders in their churches? One thing I know of is there's a movement today of trying to make churches more like businesses where we're learning from businesses. And there's a lot we can take from businesses, but but I, I believe being involved with churches, I'm supporting a church plant right now in, in my local area. We have to remember we are a church. It is different. We're not the same. We're not businesses. And so we have to recognize that. So what we need to do is, is minister to these businesses, to these marketplace initiatives, to provide love, to provide compassion, to provide hope and inspiration. People right now in the corporate world, 
their souls are starving and they're literally dying and hungry for nourishment and for fuel. And we could provide that to them. We need to provide encouragement. People don't give up because it's hard. They give up because they get discouraged. And so we have to help provide people with the hope and the encouragement about the future, about what really matters most, about the greatest impact that we can have. And so I often say like, your job may not be, right, a ministry, but you can use it as a ministry to impact others. I meet teachers who see their job as a ministry. I met a mortgage broker who sees her job as saving marriages. I'm like, how is that? She said, well, I have found that if we help people keep their homes through tough times, they're more likely to keep their marriage intact. She's number one in her company. My mom, when she was alive, was a real estate agent. She passed away at 59, but she was number one in her company. Why? Because she loved her clients like they were family. She was a Jewish mom. And so she was just loving people, cooking for them, trying to set them up on dates. But it was that love and those relationships that matters most. So what churches should do is to help businesses do what I wrote about in The Carpenter. These are the three greatest leadership principles of all. And they're how Jesus led. Love, serve, and care. You want to grow your business, you love, you serve, and you care. It's that simple. You love others. You love what you do. You serve others. You find a way to serve. And, that you sh- and then you show that you care. And you don't have to be great to serve, but you have to serve to be great. And that's how you become great in the eyes of others. Anytime you're uh, in, a, in a business conversation, how can I help you? How can I serve you? The minute you start doing that, you now become a leader. And when you show you care, A leader who cares builds a team that cares, and then that team will care about their customers. And guess what? Customers want to do business with people who care about them. So from a marketing standpoint, those are the three greatest success strategies of all, right? Love, serve, and care. Because from marketing, do I care about you? And if the customer feels that, they're coming back and they're telling other people about you. It's so simple, but we lose sight of that simplicity and the power. That's good. Um, A question about leaders right now. They're playing lose-lose. Almost everybody I talk to that's leading anything feels like, you know, for example, at Bayside, you know, we just said, okay, there were north of 20,000 people on Easter. Everybody's excited except me. I'm thinking, we're, the whole community is going to go, you're trying to kill the community. But if you get up and say, wear a mask, all the right-wing Republicans look at you into the governor. If you put people in a room, you're accused, it, it, any, just anything you do, you're playing lose, lose, okay? What one message would you say to people that are leading anything these days in some of the hardest times it's to, it ever leaked? What would you tell them? I think this is the hardest time ever because there's so much information out there. You don't know what to believe. You don't know what's true. There's so many different areas of thought. You have a lot of scientists that are saying one thing and they're being censored. You have a lot of scientists saying the other and and they're not being censored. So you don't know what's true. And as a leader, you're not going to make everyone happy. So I believe you have to decide who are we? What do we stand for? And once you know what you stand for, every decision you make is is easy. And every decision you make is not always going to be popular, but you have to have a reason and a belief and a conviction of why you're going to do it. And you may lose a few people, you know, along the way. You may lose a few people along the way, but you have to be willing to take a stand. For instance, we're going to gather in person, but if you don't want to come, that's okay. And we understand, but we're going to have an online service for you. 
we're going to do an outdoor service. You know, if you'd rather come to that. So you, you give people options, I believe, to make people feel comfortable with, with where they are. But in this service, we're going to be doing this and this because there are going to be people who feel comfortable with that. In another service, we're going to do this. And then we also have it online for people who don't want to show up. And at some point, you have to make that decision. I had a pastor who said, you know what? Our people are dying right now. Not physically, they're dying spiritually, mentally. They are, they are dying in so many ways. We've got to get back to church because our people are committing suicide and it is scary. And this is a very responsible, amazing human being who said this and who loves people. But he saw the pain and the damage that was going on, more damage than if they would have gotten together. And he started having church again. And a lot of people stayed online, but a lot of people needed it came back. They had no meaningful spread whatsoever, no damage, no concern. And a lot of it, you know, he felt was being, being perpetuated by an irrational fear, not based on data and logic. And so that was his decision to do that. But he gave people options, but he made a decision and a stand to focus on that. And whether you disagree or not, and you may, you still can respect him for the decision and why he made it because he couldn't see people lose their life anymore based on the policy that was being initiated. And I, I you know, I respect him for that. Well, yeah, you know, John, that's around Bayside. We've done the same thing. We pretty much went, we are going to give you the options you want and the options that you feel safe about. And so you want to wear a mask, come in and wear a mask. Uh, we got a mask only section. We've got outside, inside, you know, everything. Because at least around here early on the, this whole thing, more people were dying of other things related to depression, drug abuse, and alcohol abuse, then the, and suicide, then they were actual COVID. And so yes. pretty much went, we're going to protect people, but at the same time, we have got to keep people alive. And I love that. We're to protect people, but we have to keep people alive. And again, I, I believe you have to have a message and clarity around why you're doing it. And this is how we're doing it. But to have no answer at all is the problem. To have poor communication where there's avoiding communication negativity will fill it where there's avoiding communication negativity will fill it and that's what we have to do is provide the communication and politically there hasn't been a lot of great communication that has caused so much divisiveness because we're not getting the communication we need from both administrations on on what you can and cannot do and that's the challenge there so i never get involved in politics i really focus on principles and leadership principles that will help people move forward. And from a leadership perspective, I'm seeing a lot of flaws in leadership and communication that has caused a lot of the division divide. Like for instance, out, outdoors. We know that outdoor transmission is almost like nil. And yet, if I walk past someone here in California where I am right now, and you're not, and you're not wearing a mask outside at the ocean, you're gonna get yelled at. Meanwhile, there's no such thing as outdoor transmission walking past someone like that. You know, so so that and that's like I wish someone would come on TV and say that from a health standpoint, but no one's saying that. So then you have people now that are fighting amongst themselves. What if the leadership provide clear clarity? We would all know what we can do and can't do, and what the real factor is. So, same thing true in the desert last year. I'm down in Palm Springs a lot. Our, we have one of our conferences down there. We do a lot of stuff down there. They uh, they have more golf courses per square inch down there than anywhere. They have 130 golf courses in that region. And they were at the same time saying, hey, go outside, stay outside and be six feet away. And they shut down every golf course. Where you're outside and 300 yards away, thousands of workers, 
especially Hispanic workers, lost their livelihoods, lost their jobs, all went home where it was transmitted and it went sky high. So at some point you're going, you know, stay positive during crazy times. I like the principles over politics thing because you're right. A lot of this isn't real science, it's political science and you don't know what to believe. And just and just lead with your principles and knowing that, okay, like you just said, if, if it is safer to be outside, how are we closing parks and, and recreation areas? And they close the beach here in California a lot of times to where you can even walk. I understand maybe you don't want a lot of people congregating, but not even allow people to walk. The healthiest thing you can do for your immune system, and I study a lot of this, by the way, is exercise, eating right, being outdoors, sunlight, vitamin D. And we told people to stay inside. This is why so many people question what is being done. But again, I don't like to get into this conversation too much because it only, again, people then start to divide about this and that and this. It's like, to me, hey, how do we love people? How do we help people be safe? How do we help people thrive to where they are in their life? And also, how do we lead in such a way that everyone feels comfortable of what's ultimately good for them and what works for them. And I love that you're giving people options. And if we can do that, that's the way to go as we go forward. Yeah, we keep telling people, Henry Cloud actually has a great line. He said, um, he said, people psychologically are in three categories. They're wise, foolish, or evil. And I think there are less wise people in America right now on any subject. And so trying to be in the, I mean, less, less wise people, trying to be in the middle of this, I'll never, John, I'll never forget this. We regather we're outside and I get up and say, we welcome back. We will never be shut down again. The place goes crazy. And then it dies down. And I say, however, and everybody starts laughing. I said, we will protect vulnerable people. Amen. And I think somehow both of those, you get shot at by both lunatic fringes, but you're probably in the middle. Um, So I want to wrap this up by, I have a rapid fire segment. So here we go. Okay. Sure. Your favorite leadership quote. My favorite leadership book. Or actually quote. Quote. Leadership is a transfer of belief. And I would also say Maya Angelou has an amazing quote. She said, you can't be much of a leader if all you see is yourself. You know, leaders see greatness in others. Well, that's good. Okay, now this next is going to sound like you set it up. We didn't talk about this in advance. Um, If I'm a parent... Which of your books should I read first? A parent. I would say Energy Bus, for sure. Always start with Energy Bus or Relationship Grit, which my wife and I wrote together, which is about our ups and downs of our marriage, how how we almost got divorced, how she almost left me, how I was so negative and what we did to turn things around and how we're stronger now after all these years and what God did in our marriage and our relationship to, to strengthen us. By the way, we should, the title on that again is Relationship Relationship Grit. Relationship Grit. That came out after The Coffee Bean and just after The Garden, which is a newer book from, Coffee Bean actually wasn't my last one. The Garden is one of my newest ones, which is about the five Ds that we have to overcome. It's about overcoming fear, stress, and anxiety. I wrote it, I wrote it the January before the pandemic, December 25th to January 8th, I finished it. And it's about overcoming fear, stress, and anxiety. And the five Ds the enemy uses to divide us. <laughs> and that's what we're right now experiencing this whole past year, which is crazy. Um, by the way, somebody take a note of this. We have a, we have a huge multi-campus marriage conference coming up. Um, I'll grab a copy of that book, check it out, and then recommend it. Sure, uh, thank you. Which of your books should a business leader start with? The Carpenter or The Energy Bus. Okay. Um, 
Why the carpenter? The carpenter, because it's about a couple who's in business trying to build their business. And it's the principles that help you build a great business, designing your masterpiece and the love serving care, building with optimism and other principles we talked about. But the Energy Bus is my most popular book by far for sports, for businesses, for life. So I, I always say start with that, but the carpenter from a business standpoint. Yep, that's great. And then talk about Positive University and you have an upcoming Positive University Summit. So we have the Positive University, which is my podcast. So every, every week I'm interviewing various leaders and people on how to overcome challenges, adversity, and what they've done to create their life, their business, their world through, again, optimism, through belief, through positivity. Great, a lot of great interviews on there. Matthew West and, you know, Danny Gokey and Sam Macho and Alan Mullally and Dabo and Sean McVay and had Dave Roberts on there and a lot of just different people that I'm able to, to learn from. So it's been a lot of fun interviewing these people. Uh, Evan Spiegel from Snapchat, who's a, who's a client, had, had them on you know, to talk about how they turn things around with their optimism. So that's positive you. And then we have the Power of Positive Summit, which is coming up at the end of April here. And that is a free summit. And we bring in all these different speakers and everyone does like a five to 10 minute video. So it's not a live summit, but every day you get four or five videos of these different speakers for that day. And then you're interacting online and also on social media with all the people that are watching those speakers for the day. Usually have over a hundred thousand people signed up for it. And it's a lot of fun. We have a, we have a great lineup this year and a lot of great speakers. I think Russell Wilson, I think Russell Wilson is on board for this year uh, doing a, doing a, a little talk as well. Oh, that's great. You know, it's funny is when we did the global summit, we had every human being on the planet from the Robertsons to everybody except for Russell Wilson. So nice catch. Um, couldn't get him. Tell him we said hi and tell him we'll call him next year. I the, will. He needs to hey, do it. Last question I have for you is this. Um, if you could say something to every discouraged leader in America right now, like if you just went, everybody's going to listen to me for one minute, what one thing would you tell them? I would say the best advice I ever heard is from Dr. James Gills, the only person on the planet to complete six double Ironman triathlons. That's a double Ironman, which means you do an Ironman a day later, you do another one. The last time he did it, he was 59 years old and he was asked how he did it. He said, I've learned to talk to myself instead of listen to myself. He said, if I listen, I hear all the fear, all the negativity, all the doubt, all the reasons why I can't finish this race, but if I talk to myself, I can feed myself with the words and the encouragement that I need to keep on moving forward. And I would say now more than ever as a leader, besides clarity, your team needs encouragement. So you need to encourage yourself in order to encourage them. And the word encourage means to put courage into. So when you encourage yourself, you put encourage into yourself. When you encourage your team, you're putting courage into them and they need hope. They need encouragement. Chewy Cathy said, how do you know if a man or a woman needs encouragement? If they're breathing, and Zig Ziglar, years ago, the famous motivational speaker was told, hey, Zig, motivation doesn't last. And Zig would say, neither does bathing. That's why you have to do it every day. And so every day we need to encourage. Like we need to encourage because discouragement sets in and we give up. Your team is pessimistic. They're discouraged. You can get down. You can get discouraged. I've been discouraged. But every day I kept telling myself, don't worry about tomorrow. Win today. I know it's longer than a minute, but I was talking to Chad Wright, former Navy SEAL. And he said, John, a lot of guys don't make it to be a Navy SEAL because they don't make it through Hell Week. They don't make it through Hell Week because they're dreaming for it to end. They're longing for it to be over. He said, the ones who make it just want to make it to breakfast. And yeah. I realized like, that was the key to getting through this 
time or any challenge in time. Don't worry about tomorrow. We focus on winning today with that encouragement, with that clarity, focus, belief, everything we talked about on this, on this talk together, we focus on those things every day. What matters most? And if we do that every single day, we'll win the future. So we control what we can control. And that's how we're going to create success going forward. That's all we can do. And then we pray, we pray a lot and we trust in God, the creator of the universe, because we can't do it alone. On my own, I am definitely fearful, but with God, I am faithful. And I know that my faith in God doesn't make life easier. It makes me stronger. So thanks for allowing me to share. Well, I couldn't say it better. As we say all the time to wrap this up, there is something good from God waiting for you on the other side of not giving up. So, John, thank you so much, man. It's been great to be with you. This was about five hours worth of content in about 40 minutes. So... So those of you are going, how do I find his podcast? How do I find, how do I connect with the university? How do I connect with the upcoming conference he's got? That'll all be on our Thrive Conference website. Go get it. But John, I want to say thank you so much. Uh, so enjoy California while we're here. Avoid taxes if possible. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> enjoy the sunshine, buddy. Hey, appreciate you all. Thanks so much. Well, thanks again to John. You can find him at johngordon.com. And of course, his books are available anywhere books are sold. Go, go listen to the Positive University podcast, the Positive University Summit coming up, which is a great online event. And of course, he'll have lots more books coming out soon. You're going to want to stay tuned in to all he's doing. Find him on social media. It's pretty easy. Just Google John. He's, he's out there. He's available. And uh, thanks again for tuning in. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Thanks for being a leader who is wanting to get better. And on behalf of Ray... Johnston and the entire team. We are grateful and thankful for you. Thanks for being a part of this community. If you would share it, uh, subscribe to the podcast, but also maybe forward it to a friend. Uh, let somebody else know about this, these conversations that are happening that you're learning from and getting better from, and we'll all be better for it. So until the next time, this is the Ray Johnston Leadership Podcast. <laughs>